everyone. Welcome to Mission Driven Podcast. I'm here today with Chef Chris DiMercurio. He's a CAA <laughs> graduate. His family background is Southern Italian and Southern United States. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to have him on today to talk about everything that's delicious um, and also everything that's going on in the industry right now. So thank you, Chris, for coming on to the podcast and sharing some of your insight and passion with my audience. It's an absolute pleasure to, to, to speak to you again after like out like what 10 no eight years no it has to be like 10 years uh more than that it's like 13 i think you know we're old friends <laughs> the first question i have is you know after the culinary where did you go what did you do and how did you get to where you are so it's a pretty loaded question I went from the Colony Institute and uh, moved back to St. Louis for about nine or 10 months because, you know, uh, chefs don't make a lot of money, especially right out of the gate. Um, and what most people these days don't realize is that, you know, I hate to be the guy that says, well, back in my day, but back in my day, you went to a, you had $70,000 in debt when you in, into an industry that was going to pay you eight twenty five an hour. And it was one of those things. And so I, I moved back home for a little bit, about you know less than a year, and then moved to Burlington, Vermont, um, where I lived with my ex-wife and um, got to know the full gamut of, like when people say farm to table stuff, they don't like, yeah, yeah, everything did come from a farm. You're absolutely right. But like, this was the legitimate true blue stuff like we didn't have like a cisco rep or anything of that nature like there were reps there was just like john down the street that makes our brussels sprouts and like terry that i we bought like sponsored pigs from and stuff like that so it was one of the coolest experiences where i got to um really dig deep and figure out like where does this stuff come from like i did multiple farm tours and i slaughtered a pig for the like we sponsored and i slaughtered a, an animal and then we got to take it home break it down use the whole thing it was one of those things where you really get like the true education about food as opposed to just calling somebody and being like yo i want brussels sprouts we went down and got brussels sprouts where they were you know on the stalk and um first of all i didn't know that's how they were grown back then <laughs> if you've never seen that before they look really weird yeah they, they um, have that in at trader joe's as a stock with the brussels sprouts on it and i'm like you want me to do the work and cook it yeah and and bag myself and probably yeah. check it out yeah okay uh <laughs> it's like the ikea um but i i from there we went back to st louis because cost of living was a little lower we were there for about five four or five years um I worked for uh, two Michelin or two James Beard uh, chefs. One nominated numerous times. One actually won, and um, used that information uh, to um, run my own the first time for my own kitchen and stuff like that. Um, went to got on Food Network during that time. At some point, I believe. No, wait, that was later. Sorry. I went to um, my ex-wife got diagnosed with. MS. So we decided to move to uh, Denver and because the climate or the, the altitude and the climate and also like the marijuana uh, proliferation and THC and CBD and things of that nature helped take her down uh, numerous uh, medications, which was great. Um, not to make her anymore. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we ended up parting ways. I got on Food Network at one point. Um, 
for our guys' grocery games. Um, ended up staying here. I think this is my sixth or seventh year here, um, where I've helmed a couple different kitchens and um, up to about what day is it? Up to about two days ago, I was employed. Um, but the uh, as everybody knows, the pandemic has hit our industry very, very hard. Right. And it just it um, isn't sustainable right now. And right. That's that's where we find ourselves right now. It's it's a tough spot to be in, and I know that you are well prepared based on all the coursework you've done at the culinary, and obviously all your your subsequent um, jobs and and roles and stuff. Um, it's it's interesting how everyone knows that the food industry is kind of suffering the most, you know, some places that are closing may never reopen people that have been let go may never get another job, or that is their, their only livelihood, you know, the dishwasher or the bus boy might right. not be able to get something else. Um, so what are you finding, you know, in Colorado, where the lockdown might have happened a little bit later, but now it's happening again? Um, what, what are you seeing with other restaurants too, besides the one that you, you've just left? Um, well, we just got the green light uh, this, this state or yeah, the city just got the green light to do 25% occupancy. Um, and I'm not quite sure, but I believe we can still do to go alcohol and things of that nature, which dramatically helps everyone because I mean, uh, the business in and of itself, you make so much more money on alcohol than you do on food. It's right. bananas, but, um, you know, we just got that, but it's, it's still the fact that a lot of the Denver food scene are like, they really prize small independent restaurants here. And that's one of the things that directed me to move here, honestly, that in THC, but, um, that like, it was one of those things where, um, we you're like, yeah, 25% occupancy. Great. But that, you know, you then have to take the kitchen staff down to barest of bare bones. The the wait staff doesn't make any money. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like uh, your restaurateur who has been doing this for, you know, 10 plus whatever years, whatever you want to call it, or even longer than that, we've seen um, those restaurants fail because they just like the profit margins in this industry are so small that yeah. taking away occupancy from us is in, unless you are very well prepared and you know the ppe was great or whatever the ppp or whatever that was right. um it was great but you know we didn't like small independent restaurants didn't really get that money and a lot of people thought that but it was like the cheesecake factory got something in the realm of like 20 million dollars that's insane and and then issued statements to all the malls they were in saying they weren't going to pay rent they just kept that money and yeah, they paid their executives and they paid, they used it for what it was for, but they didn't at the same time. Right. So mom and pops and everything that didn't know that stuff, unless you're like very, very well versed in that stuff, you're not going to get that money. Right. So we've seen like restaurants here that were up 20, 25 years that are, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like not to stand on a, a pedestal and, or, podium where was it soapbox there it is um uh soapbox but it was one of those things where um it's not like nightclubs okay sure concerts absolutely um entertainment venues things of that nature yeah but like restaurants we're we're the ones really like we're not the ones causing the surges in numbers we're not the right. one and you know when it boils truly boils down to it um 
the politicians, whether you're a red state or blue state, they are concerned with getting reelected. So mm-hmm. instead of enacting policies saying like, hey, if you don't wear a mask, you're going to get fined. Or, hey, if we catch you on social media with a bunch of people in your house, like you're going to get fined. And and I know that sounds like a nanny state kind of idea, but mm-hmm. like instead of doing actually governing, um, they just we're going to take away your favorite spots to go and. You know, I think I, I saw a statistic where it's like one in five unemployed people in this country are from the restaurant industry. That's insane. And what you don't under what people don't grasp from that is like, yeah, that sucks for restaurant workers. What the 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 big deal for me is I work with purveyors that you know, like farmers, uh, winemakers, um, distillers, and this stuff and like produce companies like good ones you know like super like solid ones and those the trickle down effect of this is yeah we get hit but then they're sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars of product that's probably going to add that's my you know that won't be sold and then it just trickles down from there and it actually is way more far-reaching than people realize and they won't have your money the socioeconomic impact of this is something we've this country has never seen before and like thank god we bailed out the airlines and the cruise ships (laughs) but we still don't have uh the the restaurant industry the hospitality industry still hasn't gotten like there's not been a single you know um thing for stimulus or otherwise that was like restaurants get this even i mean like utopian society small businesses get this but like restaurants don't get anything unless you have lobbyists or Right. Or a multi-million dollar corporation or stuff like that. Like we just don't get any attention. And it's it's beyond sad. So I don't really even know what you I don't think they have a word for it. So there's two things that you mentioned I just want to talk about. Um, the PPP loans are extremely difficult to get for small business owners. And um, as a small business owner myself, trying to navigate that with my clients um, and, and for myself, understanding the, the ins and outs is really difficult without somebody to hold your hand. And a lot of banks were prioritizing the cheesecake factories of the world over the solopreneurs, less than 50 employee kind of client, right. or you had to have a certain amount of money with them at the bank, um, which is kind of demoralizing because, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It, it doesn't, doesn't really make you feel good at the end of the day. And it, it does stay with you understanding who the banks were that denied you or denied even having a meeting with you because John Smith down the street has maybe a larger restaurant or a larger client share, et cetera. Um, and I don't know that they are always the ones that need it the most. They get it well, the most easily. It, I mean, in and of itself, it was, you know, the, the, the idea, it was one of those things was like, was Obamacare a great idea? Absolutely. Was it implementation? Was the implementation good? No, not really, but like it was a great idea. The PPP loan was a great idea, and it was like what it, you know, it was. I, I really truly feel like somebody put that in there or or proposed that as like let's help these small people, but then you know, people, it was a it was a race. You had to apply, you had to get that stuff done, and if you had to take time to learn, you weren't gonna get much of anything, if at all. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, at the end of the day, yeah, we could all go to chain restaurants every day, but do they give back to the community beyond the superficial, like, hey, we donated to an AIDS walk. Like, you know, I mean, like, yeah, is that great? Absolutely. But like, does that really impact your community? No, not really. It's just PR. 
at the end of the day. And it's one of those things where like this, the, the socio or economical impact of getting that money. I mean, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, effect. it's just that it's just, yeah, it's the, you know, people like what Bezos got a billion dollars or something like that, or, you know, some, I mean, it was crazy. Like, yeah, everybody was ordering off Amazon, but you know, he, there was a, there was a, a, a chart on that. He could have given all of his employees $21,000 or something of that nature. And he would still been that much richer by all mm-hmm. this. And it's, you know, one of those things where you can kind of get like, you kind of realize the scope of how big Goliath really is mm-hmm. and how little and insignificant are, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like it's one of those things where it's, it's very, like you said, it's very demoralizing, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've thought about quitting this industry at least four times during this whole thing, just because, you know, I watched elected leadership watch us fail, watch us get evicted from our homes, watch right. us make rent, watch us lose our businesses and our livelihoods, and they didn't blink. Right. Democrats or Republicans, they didn't really blink. I mean, was- regardless of political um, positioning, it's right. interesting to see where people are, are claim like sticking their stake, right? What are they willing to do for the people? What are they willing to do to be reelected? Um, and although you're not a small business owner, you understand how small business works. Yes. And now this is going to change maybe the way that you vote as well as everybody else in the industry, as well as everybody else in the country, understanding how it's affected them. Um, and, you know, you don't always know the learnings until after the lesson has been taught. So after right. the pandemic, there will still be learnings to to listen to, um, but they can make a wrong decision now. They can always pivot and change and make a better decision another time. Absolutely, you know, we have another bill either that is passing or has passed um, this month in, in January 2021. So it's it's interesting to see what will happen. Um, you know, my heart goes out to people in your industry, and I, I do try to shop local and at least get takeout from whatever place is open locally as opposed to the chains um just because it is important i want them to stick around as long as i can and i i tend to over tip and people are like why are you tipping you're just picking up takeout i'm like because they right. need money like, and that's they need the other the $10 thing dollars more than i need the ten dollars right now that's the other thing is that um one of the things i've seen that you can do that's like yeah like absolutely everybody should be getting takeout from their local spots because it, it's always the that thing when you see it in the newspaper, you're like, oh man, my favorite spot, like closed. Well, did you support them? Right. Like, did you help them? Like, right. did you, you know, get takeout? Absolutely. Buy a gift card, throw it away. Like who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Save it or whatever, but buy a gift card, like buy gift cards, do takeout, like tip. Like I, I was one of those people for a long time until I really got the, the ins and outs of it where I wouldn't tip on takeout. And this was way before pandemic. And then I kind of realized like, you know what, it might not be the same tip as like sir, actual like legitimate service stuff, right. but let's throw that guy a couple of bucks. Like, mm-hmm. like, and so now it's, you know, I'll, I'll tip 25% on takeout. Yeah. Like every, uh, like across the board, if it's a better, if it's a good spot, like, yeah, it'll be more than that because you're absolutely right. They need that money. Like yeah. they're supporting more people than I am. And What's interesting, and I I come from the food service industry on the waitress side since I was a teenager. Um, people that have been in the industry tend to tip better. They're also more forgiving. Yeah, we don't complain as much, if at all. Like I yeah. will say, I will eat a, a a 
fried out piece of chicken, I might not order that chicken again. I might not even go back to the restaurant. And this is, yeah. you know, obviously pre-COVID. But it's one of those things. I'm not going to send it back. I know what that does to a kitchen. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to punish the server. Right. It's not or is or their fault. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of those things where you 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 learn um, through the process, <laughs> the processes of abuse. Um, you learn like true empathy. Oh yeah. And it's one of those things. Like I will, I will, I am the most forgiving person on the planet for like food mess ups or service faux pas or something of that nature. Yeah. As long as they're not, you know, dicks about it. Right. <laughs> Not a big wad <laughs> like, of spit right in the middle of your steak. Right. Which um, sure does happen. At least. <laughs> it does happen. The other thing I want to circle back to um, early on when restaurants were told that they were, they had to close or they were told they could reopen in the summer, but then just kidding. No, we're going to stay closed. They had to talk to the farmers, producers, et cetera, to make sure that they had enough stock in their kitchen to, to reopen um, so the, the first part where they had to immediately close and they had all this excess inventory, the second part where they were reordering and then they had to close again um, around where I live. It was interesting because some of them gave the food away to p- families that needed it because the kids weren't getting free lunches at school anymore, or they were jobless for a few months and they needed it. So that's a great sense of community. The part that um, gets me is when they donated it or sold it at cost or less than cost, whatever, just to get rid of it. Now the people that have the farms for the animals, the vegetables, produce, whatever, they don't have the, the income to restart the next season's crop or next year's crop. So I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about, um, you know, next year, what will be what will be going on with farms and what's available to you in the, in the industry? Well, like touching on, on that, um, we had uh, the first shutdown we did give out, we gave out all of our, all of our produce, all of our stuff that, you know, like stuff that we couldn't either freeze or whatever was immediately given as kind of like, we set up like a grocery store type deal and had all the employees come in. We actually had uh, other people from other restaurants come in. That's great and and get that stuff but for the second shutdown i actually worked with um two people from our 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 produce rep which is uh called fresh guys um and our uh i would say specialty foods rep which was called mira and they uh did a gofundme that raised i mean i think it's in the realm now of like something like thirty thousand dollars um and they used that basically took that money and used it to either purchase from you know from themselves or purchase from like everything else or mobilize um, their entire inventories and gave them to for free to uh, restaurants. Like the first one they did, I think they said their the boxes were totaled at about seventy five to eighty five dollars a piece, maybe even more than that. And um, they gave out over three hundred of them on the first day. And, you know, it was something like that where they didn't, they're not glory seeking. They're not seeking to do anything else for themselves, but support the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, you really feel that at sometimes it can be a relatively, uh, what do you call that? Um, broken type of family, but like the restaurant industry is a family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, you got a true sense of that. But I think um, I just want to do a shout out for that because there's Linnell from Fresh Guys and Jeff from Ultimera that are fantastic, amazing people. And I, we owe them 
more than we could pay them. Um, but for those same people, um, you know, the, the situation we find ourselves in with producers, purveyors, and things of that nature is, you know, they might not have the best, the best stuff coming up for the next season. They might not be, have been able to, you know, do as much foraging or do as much uh, producing. So it's really the restaurant industry's, I think, absolute obligation. Um, to help them and to be like, okay, do you have foie gras? No, no, I'll take Brussels sprouts. It's one of those things where like, right. it's going to like use, like we need to get, go all the way back to like when, you know, the, the whole trend of making peasant food amazing, which totally is. And I do it all the time. Um, but it's like you, we need to go back to that part and we need to like hook what we have and make it amazing and do multiple shout outs to like this farm or that purveyor or anybody else, because that's how we pay them back. And that's how, you know, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. You know, we, we boost them, they boost us. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, you might not get filet mignon this year. Sorry. You know, or, mm -hmm. or like, like, so maybe eat a flap, like eat a, eat a, eat a, eat a bavette steak, eat something like that's not in the, in the, in the meat counter. Right. <clears throat> go to a, a go to a local butcher instead of Whole Foods or instead of anywhere. Even though yes, they do work with that stuff, but it's like mm -hmm. the family farms that are also like legitimate factories. But like right. go to a local butcher, support that guy because he's supporting other people. Right. And it's you know we need to go back to like the bare bones roots and like you know make I can't believe I'm about to use this reference. We need to make that stone soup stuff and figure figure out how to make something with nothing. Yeah, because that's what we're gonna mostly get, and it's like shows how good you are if you can really do that. Absolutely. So, talking about how good you are as a chef, <laughs> uh, what do you find your favorite dishes are? Moving to a little bit of a lighter topic now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my absolute favorite dish to make is a pasta that I've made numerous times. Um, well, like two of my top three favorite things to make are. Uh, the first one is cacio e pepe. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most simple pastas in the entire universe. But because of its simplicity, and as you get to be, like, as you rise up ranks of being a cook, being a chef, like, yeah, when you're a cook, you want to make this shit. Everything needs to be, you know, like, oh, my God, you went to Walmart? It needs to be Whole Foods. You know, like, one of those things. Like, and, it, it, like, you, you, you think quality, like, using... And yeah, it does, but using like the absolute highest quality stuff or making the most complicated plates is what makes you a good chef. But then as you get older, you realize it's simplicity and not having, like if I don't have 17 garnishes on something, I have nothing to hide from. So right. cacio e pepe is pasta, butter, cheese, and pepper. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And you have to be able to emulsify uh, the cheese, the pasta water, and the, uh, and the, and the butter correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and like, it's one of those things where everybody, I mean, like 65% of the people who make it in this country mess it up because it's not, I mean, it's, it's the same thing as my second favorite thing to make, which is, uh, which is as my, my loving, my loving grandmother called horse pasta, which is Putinesca, which is exactly <laughs> what it means. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where if you like, it was born out of the simplest mm -hmm. nonsensical stuff or where a closed bistro or whatever, a trattoria and a couple of prostitutes. And now we have that. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
I love making those two pastas exclusively because they're a um, my step kid, rent a kid, step kids. Um, they had a very American upbringing, you know, that, which is nothing wrong with that. My my fiance is a fantastic cook, and but she didn't have the availability. She was a single mom. She had two kids. She didn't have the availability to make anything like I can make because it was just like, okay, I have to do work, and then I have to pick up the kids. Like it was one of those things where like sick contenders because yeah, like yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I started making that kind of stuff for the kids and they, their eyes lit up and they were like, oh my God, I didn't know taste, you know, stuff could, it looked like ratatouille when he ate the cheese and the grape or whatever together. <laughs> um, but it was like that, you know, it's like yeah. one of those things. So I, I will always be endeared to that because A, it does show technical skill to be able to do something perfectly with no BS attached to it. Mm -hmm. And B, it's one of those gateway drugs for food. And or you like, just ruined them for the rest of their life where good. they expect a certain standard now. Good. They should. Like, you should go out in the world expecting great food, but you shouldn't be a dick about it. Like, you should be, if you can't, if you can't make great food, even as a non-trained person, mm -hmm. like, I'm sure there's something everybody can make that's yeah. good. Even if it's grilled cheese, you can make a fucking awesome grilled cheese. It's right. possible. Like, my fiance does it for me. Like, that's my favorite thing she makes. Yeah. And it's government cheese and like white bread and there's yeah. nothing fancy about it, but hers is fantastic. Well, it's made and with love. Right? So it's, yeah, it's love. And it's like, you know, I, I hate that I've digressed into that PBS special of a like dad person saying that, but like, it's totally true. Yeah. Like simplicity. And when you can taste love in food and you can, mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things that makes it irreplaceable. hundred percent. So you, you told us our first, your first two favorite foods. What's your third favorite? My third favorite food um, has to be a uh, pork chop. Okay. And it's one of the things that like a giant, I'm not talking about a pork chop. I'm talking about a pork chop mm -hmm. because that's not a pork chop. Right. Like that's, that's, that's bullshit. Um, and I, you know, I, I do the, the Southern the Southern way and, um, or I, I fall on Southern roots and I do a sweet tea brine on it mm. and then, you know, do it with collard greens and mm. like stuff like that. And that's like, I think a, a sweet tea brine pork chop with collard greens mm -hmm. and grits are probably, that's like, it's a pain to make because it takes multiple days, Yeah, but it's, but it, it's made with, that's love. my Im when impress you, do it you that meal. Long. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's an Im impressive meal. Um, is that how you got your girlfriend to become your fiance by making delicious food for her? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. That's one of those things like she, um, she came from a very poor background mm -hmm. and, you know, thankfully I was given the opportunity to explore that world and do stuff and, um, when we went to, we went to Mexico, uh, 2018. Yeah. 2018. No, 2019, 2019. And, um, I took her to Tulum because there's a, a, a place there that is absolutely phenomenal and it's escaping my memory right now, which sucks horribly. <laughs> Cause I have to like, I have to say that cause I cannot remember, I cannot remember. Was it the ruins of Tulum? No, it was a restaurant in Tulum and oh, okay. in, in white people Tulum, not actual Tulum. Okay. Because there is a difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
It was a restaurant, and I, I know you're going to edit this out, and I appreciate that. Oh, Arca. It was it's called Arca. Um, and they do, you know, like, a lot of restaurants down there do, like, the Mayan way, which is, like, you eat outside, and mm-hmm. the kitchen's outside, completely open air. And um, it was uh, the chef um, who has been, worked at Noma, and he went to Noma, Mexico, and then he stayed, mm-hmm. and he was from Mexico. And he uh, he ended up, like, opening, I think, I can't remember if he either opened or got with this restaurant shortly after opening. And it was probably, like, it's, it's at the very least one Michelin star food, and they'll never get a star. They just won't, because it's one of those things. I don't even think the Michelin guy goes to Mexico yet. Okay. Um, San Pellegrino 50 best it does um mm-hmm. but it's like stuff for like Creole and stuff like that but they it was one Michelin star food and I got to see her very actual first like whole fuck this is good food it's which is like you know you put like she eats she was in the military so she eats her dinner in six minutes or less right every single time mm-hmm. and you know I'm like did you even taste that and yeah. she stopped like did the and, you know, like where, where, when it touches your soul type thing. And that was like her, like I could make her all the food in the world. That's yeah. that I know how to make and that's good. But that was the, the moment where she like, it was like, once you get to the top of the mountain, it's don't go back down. Like you just. Right. <laughs> so you ruined but her too. Those, yeah. Uh, oh no. On purpose. On absolute purpose. <laughs> I'm not going to use a lot of salt when we first got together. She didn't like season her food. Yeah. And then she started, she started, was like, everything you like is salty. I'm like, no, it's seasoned. Like, right. you just don't use salt. Yeah. Um, I, I admit, I don't use salt on a lot of stuff. And it's, I, that's fine. It, personal taste notwithstanding. Yeah. But like, that was the thing. I was like tasting stuff. I'm like, this is good, but you need like, yeah. like, it needs like that much salt and then yeah. it would be perfect. And she was like, oh, I just don't, I just didn't use salt. I'm like, <laughs> like at all? Like, no, I didn't. Like. It is a powerful okay. ingredient. It is. It, it's an abs- It's one of the best ingredients in like in cooking. Period. Like yeah. if you don't have salt, you need to have something that is salted or right. Oh. Yep, I get it. Um. All right. So we know about the food industry. We know about the effects on you know produce and farmers and all of that. And now your favorite meals and how it's affected people in your life. Um. So it's safe to ask now. What's your mission? My mission um, beyond uh, beyond getting through this pandemic right now and seeing my industry survive through, you know, however I can through voting, through letters to congressmen, to whatever. Right. Uh, my mission is um, I come from my uh, my the Sicilian side of my family had a grocery store at one point, and I didn't even know this when I had the idea, and I was like, you know what, I want to do a market, a grocery store, like a is actually we're going to call it the grocery and we're aiming for it in the next three years mm-hmm. um, but it's uh and it's i have that's a part of my instagram as well as like my business page so i'm mm-hmm. i'm falling back on that we're doing like catering and uh, uh cooking lessons and things of that nature um but i want to open a store because restaurants are just i don't have the pay. Um, I want to do a, you know, a store where it's like cheese, charcuterie, um, you know, your gourmet item, gourmet items, pastas, sauces, oils, mm-hmm. vinegars, you know, things, everything in between, beer, wine, booze, and to have it as one of those like 
old school like you lived on the east coast and you still you're still there but like it, you know those old school italian markets or yeah. or just actually this is i'll take it a step further the immigrant markets right where there's two dudes playing checkers in the back yeah they're probably drinking wine at 10 a.m you know it's one of those things where like i want that and that's mm -hmm. what i that's what we're aiming for and i don't know if it'll be in denver honestly it'll probably be somewhere else because we might move this year because okay. denver's um, too expensive yeah um but it's one of those things where i that's my that's my absolute dream and you know i want the the kids working there because a it's a great it's a great like upbringing to work and uh you know not slave labor type shit right but it is free um <laughs> Uh, but it's one of those things where, you know, like I, my, uh, my rented daughter has expressed interest in that kind of stuff. She wants to, you know, so is my stepson actually, but, um, you know, I want them like running counters, right. slicing cheese and meats, you know, getting like working with your hands, because even if you become a lawyer yeah. after that, I really feel like, uh, like working you know, like is a child, like, or as a young adult working with your hands and truly seeing the the breath of emotion that you have mm -hmm. to put into the stuff you're doing and then the emotion you get. Out of it. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing better than making a sandwich or something and somebody biting into it and you know, things of that nature. That's why you do that. I mean, that's, yeah. I, but it's one of those things. I want them to truly be able to appreciate that stuff. Like even if they go on to be, you know, like a billionaire tech person, you'll have a better understanding and grip of reality if you work with your hands and you actually like, did that stuff. So I guess it's teaching my mission is, you know, building that business and teaching the, like my, my kids that stuff. and, you know, teaching them what it means yeah. and how that can impact people. And is if I can accomplish that as dauntingly, as it seems, especially in you know, the generation they're growing up with. Um, I, I think that's a win, honestly. I think I could die happy like leaving that kind of legacy. That's an awesome legacy. Like kids that kids that aren't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, kids that I mean, that work hard, you know. And... We should we should all we should all strive for that. Like yeah. can we stop having kids? Well, I think it starts with the parents, right? Right. And that's why you know, hard labor. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a long line of hard labor. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, well, Chris, thank you for your time. For everyone Absolutely. listening, I have all of Chris's information in the show notes. If you want to reach out to him, follow him on social media, um, feel free. Thank you all. Have a great day. Reminder that all the thoughts, opinions, and expressions are exclusive to the person and not representative of any company, brand, or organization. 